Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Lid Shiny. Uh, this is Rob Hirschfeld, your host. Steven Spector is busy doing parenting things, which I think is awesome. And uh, I, I, I am enjoying a balmy day in Austin. Steven, very nice here. Not cold like where you are. And today we have a great guest. Uh, Jim Clark from Atomist is here, and we're going to talk about, boy, all sorts of fun DevOps and platform things. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. As we get started, I, I would love to get some background, learn a little bit about you know what you're doing now with Atomist and how you got there. So I'm the chief architect at Atomist. There's four of us that uh, that co-founded the the company. We're a pretty diverse lot, actually. Um, the CEO is is Rod Johnson. A lot of people know him from um, Spring, the, from the Spring framework. He was. Uh, when the, he was the co-founder of um, one of the co-founders of Spring, and he invented that framework. Uh, working a lot on some of the problems that were plaguing the industry uh, in the early 2000s, um, and sort of formed a lot of the basis of how, if I think, how Java enterprise computing is done today. I was working in that space as well back then on object relational mapping. I ended up at uh, at Oracle. Was I met Rod way back then, and, and was really impressed with the work he was doing. Um, the we've got uh, our VP of Engineering is uh, Adam Christian Dupuy, an, another another Spring guy, just a just an amazing engineer. Um, our COO is is uh, Ryan Day. He he's actually been all all over the industry. He's got. Got, got an amazing set of experiences that it's a whole nother podcast there. Uh, he, he was at GitHub um, and uh, before Atomist. And so saw that, saw, saw sort of really saw the power that developers are now, um, now have in the industry and, and the, the, the importance of focusing on making sure that developers have, have a, have a great experience with, uh, with cloud native. So yeah, it's a, we've, we've, Pull together an interesting, interesting uh, group of people. We're we're really, really, uh, really enjoying our this this opportunity. It's it's interesting, and I'm, I want to come back to some of the your your legacy in Spring because you know when I first saw Spring and aspect oriented programming, like my head exploded because it was what you could do with it, and the power was awesome. But I before I I go there, I I want you to try and explain for me what Atomist does. What's what is the platform what's the software it's a good it's a good question because um when we're not uh we're we are we we think that one of the big things that's that developers are really struggling with right now um in in shifting to cloud native architectures is how to kind of encapsulate all of the all of the new knowledge that you need to have in order to be a developer in this world Evolve. Well, first off, isolate your what your best practices are now, and evolve them forward. And so, delivery. How do you how do you deliver um, applications to to cloud to cloud native? That's that's really what we're focused focused on. We want to we want to empower developers to as easily as possible build build applications in in uh, in cloud native architectures. So I was looking at the website and I was trying to. Uh, the website does a really good job of explaining the whys, right? This is you know what developers need, and there's some, there's DevOps pieces and agility. I'd love a little bit of the how. Is it is it something with you know is there code repositories? Is it a framework like what Spring had? Is it go further than that for what like a Cloud Foundry? What's can, can you give people a snapshot on the how? 
if, if you don't mind, I'd like to first start off with just saying what is what is the problem that people sure. are, are facing right now? And um, and so I'll uh, when you're when you're going to develop now, you you need to you need to to uh, you've, you've got these tools that you use. You've got either GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket. You've probably got um, some Jenkins servers, some Travis CI, some Circle CI. You have some st static code analysis that you're plugging in. Um, I'll bet that your Docker containers are going to an artifact registry like, um, like uh, JFrog. Uh, yeah, um, that's everywhere. Um, you're 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 looking at deploying to um, to a Kubernetes cluster, perhaps. Maybe you're using Mesosphere. Um, maybe you're 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 running on on Heroku. Um, you're you're you you're probably using some some HashiCorp products. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's, it's a wild market out there. Yeah, totally. It is. It really is. It really is. And there are there are best practices everywhere there. And what we have noticed is that a lot of delivery has sort of morphed into a problem of integration. You're, you're, you're integrating, you want, you want, you need a lot of choice there. One, because it's actually not, it's actually very diverse now and it's getting more diverse. Right. And what delivery looks like to us anyway, is it might in the end, when you watch it happen, it looks a little bit like a workflow, but that's not that's not how we think you should build it. So hold hold on, because that's so you're saying, right? A lot of tools have been building CI/CD pipelines, and we've talked been talking about shift left, and and those pipelines are all about really integrating different silos of excellence, and that's what right. you that that would be a workflow. So I've got developers at one point, and I'm past, I'm doing all this this handoff and. I keep adding complexity because there's more things I need done, right? Linting and security static analysis and dynamic analysis and QA and CI, all this, right? So we get we get this long workflow of, of bits to delivery, very complex. And you're saying, no, wait, there's something, there's, it's, that's not right? That's not right, yeah. Okay. So um, so I, I think the... I, let's let's drill down a little bit into what you've talked about with linting and static code analysis. Okay. So let's let's go from let's make the transition from you don't have that to uh, a situation where you have that, and you've got um, say you've 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 got uh, I don't know thirty projects, or maybe you've got like. A thousand projects. <laughs> that's that's actually getting to be the more realistic scenario now. But let's just even say that you've got like, you know, thirty projects. Do you what? Do, what is it that you need to do in order to start having a consistent linting process across all of those projects, or a consistent static code analysis um, off of all, all, all across all of those projects? And so what we we we're doing at Atomist is we're building a platform so that you can have linting or you can have static code analysis you can define those as goals and the people who understand the static code analysis tools can roll out the goal of doing static code analysis on your projects over all of your delivery workflows in one step so it looks like a workflow when you look at the individual project because of course 
if, if all projects have the goal to run static code analysis, then when they run their delivery, there is a new task there. But we don't want the workflow trapped inside of the project. So 30 different, say, project owners all have to, um, all have to implement this themselves. So goal-oriented, being able to roll out tools like this, to have the goal of consistently running static, static code analysis all across all of your projects is one of our, one of our really high-level value adds that we're, that we're providing with Atomist. So there's a degree of hygiene and capability that comes from being able to bring in these best practices. So, I mean, part of, part of what you're describing to me with this is there's a lot of people because we've we've got this wild west where some teams are really good some teams aren't aren't very good at all the the hurt you know we, we've created the, these you know pockets of excellence but you're saying we need we want to get everybody rate raised up more and we're making that easier is that sort of the idea that's right yeah so we want to we want to remove the possibility of of projects falling behind by making it really easy for expertise to spread out. So a good, a, an important, there's sort of like two elements of best practices that are really key. One, when you start something new, it should have the up-to-date best practices. Two, you, you never want to be in a situation where you can't evolve those best practices because whatever you think your best practices are now, um, we know that, that six months from now, you're going to want to change them. And so we want to address those two problems right in the core platform and, um, and, and make sure that, that um, if you are, say, rolling out um, a new, um, if you are, say, rolling out a JFrog tool like Artifactory, or you're rolling out a new code analysis tool, or you're ro ro rolling out a new um, linting analysis for all your TypeScript programmer programs, we want to make sure that you have the confidence to roll that out across all 500 projects and know that tomorrow you, you can make a mistake because tomorrow you can change that. But make a mistake in roll because when I think of, of somebody adding linting into every project, I, I imagine a project that's never linted before exploding, um, right, or the, their pipeline stopping. Um, right. and, and, and this backlog of, oh, now you've got, you know, a year of, lint of, of, of linting to fix. Uh, not that that ever happened to me, and um, and so it you know there's no doubt it's value, um, it's, right? And, but it's also technical debt. Is is there a way that you're like, all right, we're going to get everybody up to this, but we can we can sort of walk them through that that journey a step at a time. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because some of these things you roll out a little bit differently, like linting, for example. Um, linting gradually. Um, like a, a lot of a lot of people do a really good job before they even push their commits of of doing linting. Like it's it's right there in their IDEs. Um, but what's really valuable about having a consistent linting standard, which um, well, we we at Atomist we call these auto fixes. But having this, these auto fixes, which which run as part of your pipeline, sort of like a, as an ambient like last check. Is that um, you? If they don't, if all they do is make sure that everybody is applying these rules consistently, um, then they're they're just sort of like a set of last minute guardrails. Um, 
I personally have never really found that I've got a great um, setup for linting in my own in my own tools. Um, I do a lot of closure programming uh, myself, and um, I there are a few of my Lisp expressions which I just have never managed to get kind of like uh, formatted con in, in a consistent way. But so I I actually tend to push commits where I know that that Atomist is going to auto fix them back to the way the rest of the engineers want to see them. Oh, okay. So, so there's auto fix is important is an important component then. So you're saying that Atomist will actually come in and and tweak committed code to make it conformant. There's a an, an automation component there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and then you know you have to decide: do you want that to be a, a commit that's right on? Um, say, say the branch that you committed to, or is this just a PR that you that it sends to you? Um, we do a lot of chat ops at at Atomus. We really like the the notion that um, if you're already in it, something like Slack or MS Teams, um, and I've just done a commit, if the Atomus bot, bot pops up and says, "Jim, like you 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 messed up this." this uh, linting again, here's a PR that fixes it. Um, do you want to approve that? Well, I actually don't, I actually do that. I, I, I need these things done so much that I don't even want to approve those. So that's actually, that's how I configured it first for the first week. Okay. But eventually I, I, I just, I was just like, I'm not going to learn this. You just, just, <laughs> just, just commit, just commit this to master. Like, this is fine. Um, you, you know, you're doing a better job of linting my code than I am. And one day, um, I am going to get my Intelli my IntelliJ configured to do this right. I, I know I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to finally get this, get this done. Um, but I don't know whether it's going to be exactly the same way that, um, all, all the, all the people who use Emacs um, want it. And I'm never going to try to get someone to stop using Emacs and use IntelliJ. That's just not the way I want to spend <laughs> any yeah, of my time. That's a, futile, that's a futile battle. That's true. It, it really is, right? Futile, um, futile, so futile in, in both in both spellings of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the and the other thing is like say something like code analysis. This isn't a really interesting one for for me because and when I when I first looked at look at rolling out code analysis, um, I've actually done this a, a couple times in my career, where 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 I've had you know um, I've had a, a high level mandate, let's call it, where we we need to start doing a certain level of, of analysis on our code, and I've even done it in in a context where I had to do it on like greater than 10,000 projects, to be honest. Um, uh, but I've, but I've also, I've also had, had cases where I, I just needed to, needed to do it on, um, on hundreds of projects. And in, in those, in, in that, that time, one of the biggest problems at first was to get everybody to run the, just run the tool consistently. And when I did that, I didn't want to confuse the two things, two, two aspects of the problem. One, getting the first bit, bit of data um, on the analysis back into a system where I could analyze it, analyze it. and two, um, making the an analysis actionable. So what I really want is I want to be able to say our goal is to run analysis consistently. And I want, I want that to take an hour. I don't want that to be a, to, to be something that I, I've got to, 
I, I've got to wait weeks for a whole bunch of people to do because I can set up a code, a, a cluster to do code analysis on, say, every push that comes through. And I can start to pull that data in and I can start to analyze it. And no one else in the organization has to see my work. Until I've got that data clean, I understand the analysis that I've done, I've broken it down into the things we're really worried, worried about, and I've made those things actionable. And that's a second phase. And so I really, I, I, the ability for me to roll out tools in a way that makes them uh, useful to all of these developers who I want to get good data to is not to bug them at first with, um, with having to to having having to do something on my behalf to to run this but just to run it and that requires that that requires a certain way of looking at at um at how you how you code your automation platform and so that's what we that's one of the that's one of the things that we think um goal oriented delivery and event oriented and and having everything based on on events and uh um integrating tools in that in that with that architecture that's what it gives us so you're 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 saying from a workflow perspective or a pipeline perspective it's we typically see it as a very linear stage 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 what what your approach has been is that i can actually create side pipelines parallel events i can take streams it's it's you're taking a much more data focused view i'm trying to think of the right way to ex express it you've been doing a good job but it, it is a different way to think about it because you're 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 looking at this body of code not as such a linear flow, but as you know, there's there's a body of data almost, manipulatable data. For sure, yeah, and and also like you know the application integration people have known for a long time that there are lots of different ways of consuming something like, for example, a push event. So one great thing to do with a push event is have a CI server build it. <laughs> Right, right. Another great thing to do with a push event is to do static code analysis on it. A lot of times in 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 modern delivery approaches, you um, you you force a single, you force like almost every project owner to know a little bit about those decisions. That can be good, um, but if you're if you're someone who's trying to bring in static code analysis on an, an existing set of hundreds of projects. Or you're trying to make it really, really easy for someone to fire up a new project, but get all the benefit of, of, of what we already understand about doing static code analysis. It's much, much better to have, um, to have the goal of running static code analysis be like separate, not locked in. So one of the not locked into the project. So we don't like we think it's it's a bad smell, so to speak, if um, you you have these steps coded into say a YAML file inside of a repo. That's already evidence that 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 we think you've gone down the wrong path there. Oh, okay. This makes sense. So this one thing you said about having YAML. So it, what you're saying is that in these cases we're creating a pipeline event. If we create a pipeline event, then you you that pipeline can be blocked. It can be interrupted. What you're describing here is is not pipeline. It's it's like look I can add I can add side side benefits to all this stuff and if you then want to enforce things you can create a check but then even even the even the gates become events the gates are event aggregation points they're not pipeline 
uh, block. Absolutely. So, so these are all lessons that the application integration community has been teaching us for a long time, and we're applying them now to to delivery. And the, I think you you did a really good job of summarizing some of the some of the highlights there. Yeah. Um, when you when it, I, it should be possible for me to quietly um, do static code analysis on all of my projects, and the project owners don't even know that I'm doing it. Um, and they would prefer that, right? <laughs> because um, then I can... I want to be interrupted until you're like, hey, look, <laughs> I've got this benefit for you. Turn it on. Watch it. But uh, And this is the same, uh, you know, in a pipelining view, somebody would say, yeah, I'm not, I've, I've put something in your pipeline, but it doesn't block you. What you're saying is it's right. not really even in your pipeline. Don't, don't, don't pretend. It's just an additional code. And then you can start doing things that, that you, oh, okay. So now, now you could do something that might take a long time. This is your day's example or week's example to complete an analysis. It's not blocking the pipeline, but it's still part of the pipeline, even if you already deployed the code that's happening. And now we're getting into like blue green tests where feedback from production is coming back into a pipeline in, in a meaningful way as well. That's right. Yeah. And so you're really, you're really thinking about visibility and, 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 um, actions, uh, you can bring them in in different phases, like like so. I think it's kind of nice to tell people, "Hey, we're stat, we're we're analyzing your code." I mean, it's it's interesting to be in a Slack channel, for instance, and go, "Oh, like the bot just told me that that something did static code analysis." But what's really nice is if the bot pops up and says, "You've got the the last commit. Um, you have a, a, a new violation, and here's a link to it that you can go to this dashboard and see what this is about." That's useful to you. And what's even more useful is here's a fix for that violation. Click on this button and we'll and we'll raise a PR. But those things come in at different at different levels. So the first time a bot a bot pops in and gives you an actionable piece of data that you find useful, that feels amazing. But the team that worked on that goal may have been analyzing your code for several months by that point. To get to the point where they're happy that they've got they've got really useful insights for you. So, same thing with like with uh, security analysis of libraries. Um, it's a really great thing if someone is um, is tracking all the different uh, like uh, all the all the different libraries which suddenly have known violations in them, and then let's just let's just say a bot pops up in one of your channels and says. Two hours ago, I would have said that the application that you have running um, in prod uh, was fine, but I just learned some new information, <laughs> and here's a PR that I think that uh, that you need to merge um, because you've got a Docker base layer which has a, has a now has a known security violation in it. So this is the sort of like ambient um, knowledge that we now can access and make actionable and these little goals that you that you write they're actually not that complicated they're when you look at yeah like take take a look at something like a docker base image um like there are there's really great knowledge out there about um uh about analyzing docker images like we um, looking at at uh, at code that's in a it, that's in a in a layer of a of a of a Docker container, seeing that there's a violation in there, and then and then going out and um, and and looking at which which uh, Docker containers are impacted by this, and the 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 diff the the actual PR that you need to um, 
to code to change a Docker base image is really small. Like I, I hate using the word trivial, but it's pretty trivial, right? Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> um, and so if you can target the right repos uh, with that 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 have that Docker base image, um, you've just you've you've just done made it a lot easier to be confident that when you when you suddenly realize that someone that that uh, you've got 50 repos all using this Docker base image and it needs to go to this next version. And we detected that the PRs went out, um, you know, 40% of people have merged them. They're in production now. Like these are, these are each of those things is, is a fairly simple, um, fairly simple of code to write. If we've already built the platform that tracks that information and has the right events to make um, to make these these things actionable. So that's what we've so that that's that's what we focused on. This is this is really making me rethink a, a couple of key assumptions because what what you're saying here is not only do you know that something happened, you can go back up the chain and know who cared because right you could do I'm assuming you could do the same thing with if there's a performance issue or a vulnerability in a specific uh, subroutine or something like that. You because of the way you're looking at this at this problem space, then you can actually say, I know who touched that code. I know the people who touched it. I can alert them specifically because they could make the patch quickly. They could actually make a decision. And if you throw in a little bit of preemptive, you could actually say, not only is here, I know you're the person who could make the call. Here's the, the change that I would suggest you make. And you could have all those things collapse down into specifically targeted actions, right? Right, right, and that's and that's why we think like we've invested pretty heavily in 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 having um, a graph, like a, our model that we that we maintain in 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 the back end is is uh, is graph oriented, and we expose it to our platform with GraphQL. So the the ability to say, okay, I have a pod running. This pod is um, from this Kubernetes deployment, which is deploying this container, which came from this repo, where the last push was done by these authors <laughs> who are talking about this project in this Slack channel. Those, though, each of the edges that you follow there allows you to, um, to contextualize uh, an event that, that occurs in that pod and um, much and and make it much easier to make that actionable, and that can start off as just awareness. Um, that's that's notifications, of course. But as as we've just been talking about, the real key here is um, for best practices and 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 for things like security, for example, is being able to turn that into a PR where you can where you can uh, where you can really make that change and there's i mean there lots of people have come up with with this insight this is not this is this is um this is not new okay. what we're trying to do is is just make this platform make it easy for people to write these rules to write these goals and to and to have to come up with their own standards of best practices here we call this the software delivery machine and uh so this is the this is the API that that we've we've constructed for you being able to to put in your own best practices and 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 evolve them. And and just from a how perspective, <laughs> how how is it is this uh you know is it a what's what's the stack look like just as a reference example? 
I always care about the how. Too. Oh, the, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it this way. So um, the the software delivery machine is uh, is in TypeScript, okay. and it run you run it in Node. So your uh, what we've been talking about so far, like the the ability to detect something and then to execute a code transform. Now, that's the essence of the of what we talked about with um, make, keep making sure that your Docker base images are are up to date. Those are the, those are written in in TypeScript, and you um, start them up in Node in in, in a in uh, uh, the thing that we call the software delivery machine, and that connects to um, that connects to the Atomus platform and basically inserts that um, that set of goals to all of your projects. So we we drive consistency by saying that if you want to add a new goal to, uh, that runs, say, every time a pod is crash looping or every time a um, new Docker container arrives in your registry, what do you need? You need the events. When the event comes in, you need to query the the graph of all the of all the dependencies, and then you need to um, schedule an action, maybe in chat ops or maybe like a, an action to to uh, to to take another step in a workflow. That's a goal. Yep. And when you start up one of those goals, that goal is available to all of your projects. You you can build up your workflows by defining your best practices in software delivery in, in the software delivery machine and um, and and compo and compose the what you end up seeing as the workflow of things that happens can actually be the contributions from many experts so when you when I start up a new project um, in my SDM we deploy to Kubernetes um, on uh, AWS and GKE. We have a bit of a hybrid cloud situation there. But um, when I start up a new project, um, it's going to go to Kubernetes It it's because the, the software delivery machine already has that. I don't actually know that much about Kubernetes. I mean, I can kind of speak to it um, to, to some degree, but we have experts that do know it. And, uh, and so my... My uh, my software delivery machine encapsulates those best practices, and so when when my commits go to master, like I expect I expect a, um, a pod to show up on the staging environment for me to test. Wow. I, I I benefit very much from the best practices that the Kubernetes experts on my team have uh, have um, basically taught me, right? And I I learn a lot about Kubernetes by watching my deployments go. And, uh, and, but I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not in charge it's of that. And this, this actually, I think answers one of the, one of the questions, right? If you're a developer, you're trying to get further from the infrastructure, you're trying to write your code. The, the thing I've always pushed back on is that you can't be completely blind about this. And you're, what you're saying is you can have visibility without having to create the expertise at every step of the pipeline. Those things, because of the way you've connected the systems together, the experts can do the expert, their expertise, and right. you can rely. You you now have an interface to their expertise. So your Kubernetes people who know how to build a good pod, know how to handle all these conditions. You might you might escape in some cases what 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 they've predetermined, but that's going to be a decreasing surface area over time. 
Yeah, very, very true. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's essentially, that's what I want. I want, I mean, I, I, I think that's, a, a, that's what makes strong teams is that we all benefit from the expertise of, of uh, other members of our team. And, and it fails when we're scared to try new things because it's just, it's just too risky. Um, so I love the fact that if I'm going to roll out, like to stick with the static code analysis example, if I'm going to roll out static code analysis, I actually, as an engineer, I like the fact that I'm going to try to do this well for everyone. And it, it kind of alters the mindset when you, when everybody has to learn a little bit about it, because you end up with a lot of people who are kind of like pseudo experts. What I, what I, what I would call the false stack engineer fallacy. The false stack. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a much better term than I have. <laughs> I, I, I watched this. Like, you need to hire full stack engineers. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Not- yeah, like where does that end? Where where is the boundary for that? Like, I mean, to to me, like that doesn't even seem like a scalable thing to start with. Like, if I'm a full stack engineer today, tomorrow I'm very vulnerable to not being a full stack engineer anymore. <laughs> <I don't- laughs> yeah, oh, that new thing came out. Well, the, the other the other one. That, oh crap! I know I'm only partially stacked. The, the, well, the thing the yeah. thing that I I think and I, I, we we do need to wrap up. I know Stephen's uh, going to give me the hairy eyeball. Uh, even from remote, I can get the Perry eyeball from Steven. Um, wow. Yeah, he's powerful. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, the danger with full stack engineers in some cases is the middle, not the ends, which is to me what you're describing. It's like, hey, we, we need, you know, security analysis in this code. And I, you know, and you might be like, I don't know how to do that. And, you know, you're talking about adding things, which is, which is where, the CI/CD pipelines are so exciting. You're adding things in the middle, um, or or sending the blue greens and, and pulling data back from production. It's 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 a much richer environment. Right, right, yeah. And I mean, I'm and when I look at other people's delivery now, like I'm often surprised by how, like one by how brittle it is, but two by how like they don't they don't have a lot of the easy things, like like I'm I'm when I when I when I see people that that don't don't say enforce their coding standards when they when they want to, it's, it's kind of surprising to me because I don't even notice that we have that anymore because the fact that we thought really carefully about it, put it in place, sort of like you know you hardly even see that it's there anymore because it's it's kind of already trained you. High value, often gets left behind. No, it's I and. It, this is, you know, for for the stuff we do, it's something sort of similar. There's a whole bunch of disciplines that just fall on the floor because uh, people don't know where to how to start them. Um, right. They have good good ROI. Wow. So Jim, <laughs> I, there's tons of more topics. I think we talked about things we wanted to get to, and and uh, I think this was actually better than what I was. But I, we covered more interesting topics to me than ones we had prepped, uh, which is a great way to have a conversation. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, can you give people a little bit of information on how to contact you or get more information? Yeah. So um, www.atomist.com is um, is 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 where we've where where we we send people right now. Um, we are uh, we're we're in the middle of of working towards a 
uh, trying to trying to we've been working with a lot of enterprise customers uh, right now. We're working towards um, making making our our product easier for people to to get started with and and try out. Um, so we're really excited about what's coming in the next uh, in the next month or two around just hey come on and and give Atomist a shot. Um, but it will all it'll all be on on www.atomist.com. Uh, awesome. So people should roll out in February, March. When 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 should they look for the? Yeah, I, I think it's yeah February March timeframe is is what we're looking at for that exactly. I think that this this uh, podcast should be coming out right around that time. So oh, perfect. Actually, so Jim, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Uh, this has been a great yeah, conversation. Yeah, that was great. Okay, cheers. Thank you.